Hi, Merlin. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. <clears throat> Tell me something, John. Uh, let's see. Something, John. Uh, this Tell morning. Tell me that you like it. I uh, I I had some I made some coffee mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, this is this will give you some sense of where I'm at. <laughs> I uh, I looked in the refrigerator and there was some cream in there, and I grabbed it and I knew that there were I knew that there was a variety of sort of suspect creams in the in the refrigerator. Yeah, but it was also possible there had been a few people in and out of the house. It was also possible that somebody had bought a new cream, a new <laughs> container of cream, Eisenberg Uncertainty Cream. Yep. And so I uh, I grabbed the cream, I looked at it, I read the date, and I said, oh, June 1. It's almost June. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, and right, I put right, the, right around the corner. And I put the cream in the coffee, and then I, you know, was walking around sipping it, and you know, there were some floaters, but, you know, the, what is, come on. I'm not a guy that's going to throw a cup of coffee away just for a couple of floaters. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, after about 10 minutes, I had one of those sort of, you know, the slow delay, slow time release, the Oxycontin of thought, uh, where I was like, June 1? Mm. It's almost August. Oh, God. And then I went and I looked at the, I looked at it again to confirm that it was June, and I opened it up and I smelled the cream, and it was, it did not smell like spoiled milk. It smelled kind of like pie. It had moved into some other realm where it was, or 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 maybe it's that that strange phenomenon where where half and half doesn't spoil because it's, it seems like it can only get so spoiled. Yeah, right. It just it I mean, becomes, it's refrigerated, but it becomes something else. It go it turns into like it has like a state change, mm-hmm, a state change. That's right. It becomes a particulate, <laughs> and um, and so you know what I I made the I made the executive decision. It was executive level decision to just. Go with it, and wow. so I am. I still have, you know, I, because I drink my coffee out of uh, half liter beer steins. I'm sitting here with a with about a quarter of a liter of coffee and and um, uh, what I can only describe as April's cream. <laughs> and uh, and we're that's that's how I'm starting today. Mm. And you're just gonna power through it. <sighs> my, it's um... a, you know, it's a little, it's a little. It's a little saltier. It's a little, you know, it's got a little pow. Pie coffee. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't say this. Uh, my, my, my coffee apparatus uh, at work, at some point, I guess in the last year or so, stopped working. And I was drinking less coffee at work. I would have it at home. I'd bring it in. Uh, long story short, I have uh, a half and half in my refrigerator that expired in April of 2014. Oh! Now, here's my thought. It got to be April's cream, 2015. You know what? Maybe this is back to like uh, affections uh, for your shirt. I I I I didn't want to throw the guy out. I kind of wanted to see how long he could stick around. Sure, he's April's cream. He's like he's been <laughs> April's cream twice now. I mean, I don't know. It's it's sort of like uh, putting a relative in a home or something. You're like, well, you know, they're they're kind of stinky and not very useful, but you know, you got affection. Let me ask you this: Have mm-hmm. you considered the cow or cows that produced April's cream where they are now? Yeah, that makes me so sad when I watch a movie and I know the dog's dead. You know, Ubu from from Sit Ubu Sit, he died in 1984. Really? Yeah, but his legacy continues on. Woof, Sit woof. Ubu Sit, good boy, good dog. Oh man, that is rough. We, yeah. we got we got some new coffee technology at the house, and I'm I have mixed feelings about it. 
Uh, how so? Well, you know, you know our house. We have like two plugs in the house. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> because it was built in uh, 1904 when electricity was powered by gas. It was in 1928 when it was powered by horses. <laughs> and, uh, and so we don't have a lot, and we don't have a lot of counter space. But my wife, in her new job, has become so taken with the Keurig K-Cup system. Oh, it is a system, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I was kind of always just against it because it seemed a little fancy to have a single... Like, a, a, you know, a piece of electronics that's that big for doing one thing that takes yeah. up that much space. But we went ahead and got one. And it takes up a lot of space, but it's really good. Well, as it feels you... wrong, though. It makes a lot of waste. Like, yeah. I just I don't feel good about it. But, man, it it's, a, it's a great cup of coffee in less than a minute. It produces a ton of little used cups. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of my main coffee problems is that uh, I've... You know, I was made aware several years ago uh, that coffee mold is not just the um, the major mold system that arrives on your coffee filter if you don't change it for two weeks. Hmm. Coffee mold is something that is that's present in it can be present in your coffee without you knowing about it. Like if it's. Like old beans or ground a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, right. Old beans or you yeah. know grind that's been sitting around. Coffee mold becomes uh, becomes a presence, and you're just sort of not you're you're not conscious of it. But to- coffee mold is potentially bad for you. Could be toxic. Who knows? Hmm. Um, but I am I'm always fighting a losing losing battle uh, over coffee mold because I don't. I don't have a regular or predictable um, routine. Well, obviously, this is reflected in your in April's cream. Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, it seems like you would have gone through that. Is it is it like a half gallon or a, or a quart? What is it? Well, see, what so here's what happens with the cream, right? The uh, uh, April's cream, sometime in June, was determined by someone else who uh, was cycling through my home to be too old because p- different people have different ideas about how old cream should be. Yeah. And if it says exp- expiration date, June one and it's June 15th, well, a certain slice of the population will go ahead and get another one. Right. That, see, this is how they get you, John. Mm-hmm. This is, they used to put expiration dates on things mm-hmm. and it was an expiration date. And you would say, you, you, you got to eat this salami by December. Mm-hmm. And like that was something we could all understand. I think the sell-by date is oh. all about the people who are selling it. It's their convenience to have sell, that on there. Sell it by, right. Right. But I am somebody who, is, who sees a sell-by uh, date of June 1 on June 15th, and I feel like, right, we're right, you know, we're right, in, right in the strike zone here. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I'm not in 100% control of my environment anymore. Mm. So another cream appeared in my refrigerator and and frankly it was a it was a bigger cream mm-hmm. and a newer cream and it coincided with the time that I was out of town so when I arrived back in town here's this big new cream you know April's cream is is back in there somewhere with the you know the half empty container of Greek yogurt and three or four different mustards and <laughs> and a box of Arm & Hammer baking soda that's been in there since 2007 and honestly, you know, I just reach for the front cream in that case. You know, like I'm not, I'm not so uh, 
I'm not so like managing my my refrigerator contents that I'm like, listen, I'm gonna work my way through April's cream before I move into this June cream. Oh, so I I'm understand. just I'm just reaching in, grabbing the top cream, first cream, and April's cream just got pushed back. I think there's probably you know probably a mustard like migrated in front. And then it was back there. But the thing was, I, wa- I do manage my refrigerator well enough to know it was in there. Mm-hmm. I knew it was there. I just wasn't, you know, like, kind of like you. I wasn't at, at any point along the way was I ready to say, like, you know, it's time to go in and, and do the humane thing mm. and have April's cream go live on a farm. Mm-hmm. And mm. so, so here's what happened, right? You know, the, the, the main creams, of which there have been four probably since then, Four, four front creams all got cycled through, and then one day April's cream just popped up. I don't know how she did it. Mm. She just, you know, there was some kind of refrigerator machination. The mustard let their guard down for a second. April's cream came to the fore and masqueraded as a new cream. Mm. And now here I am. Mm. And I don't know what's going to happen if I drink uh, this cream today. I don't know. You know, this is also the top, This is also the beginning of blackberry season here, uh-huh. and so as as you probably know, blackberries <clears throat> grow in abundance, in, precisely in all those areas where the pollution is the highest. I didn't know that. Well, it just seems like the only the, the places where people let blackberries run riot are right next to the freeway, right next to the, you know, right next to the um, train switching yard, right next to the where they dump the. Uh, unusable av gas and so you know you're always kind of out there in the out there on the you pull over to the side of the road and you're gathering blackberries and you're having a wonderful time but you're conscious that they are covered with a they're all covered with a film mm-hmm. like a, a kind of environmental dander mm-hmm. so uh, you know i've been scarfing blackberries too uh, uh, by by this afternoon i could be in the hospital Oh, good. I I wasn't going to say anything, but the 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 tale that you're weaving here involves April's cream. Mm. You've got you've got coffee dander. You got the coffee mold that has performance characteristics. I don't think we've even begun to identify yet. That's right. That's right. I it could I could see through time <laughs> if I have enough coffee mold. I I see now. As soon as I hear about a new kind of dander, the first thing I think about is the toxoplasmosis. Mm. Tell the me cat, more. Oh, it's the cat poop thing. It's the thing oh, that makes sure. people crazy. Sure, sure, you can't, sure. You, you might remember uh, when there was a child on the way, you start reading lots of things that say, be careful with the cats because you get the toxoplasmosis. That's really bad for, for babies that are in their mommy's tummy. Yeah, we sent the cats to live with Aunt Martha when the baby was coming. Mm. So you're, you're, not, you're not above making a hard decision if you know that there's, a, there's a, a risk. My daughter's mother's cats were the two most awful people I had ever met in my life. Mm. They, uh, one of them... Um, at some point as a young cat uh, had some cognitive disconnect where the cat did not understand what hissing, the role that hissing performed in a normal sort of social uh, milieu. Oh, interesting. It's a domestic cat. It, it doesn't know all, all the signals uh, either of being a wild cat or of being a domesticated cat. It might have crossed wires. Yeah, right. So the cat, I feel like, enjoy, personally enjoyed hissing. Um, but hissed at inappropriate times, hissed at people that it knew well, hissed, you know, like came to you to be petted, 
you pet you pat it, you petted it, and then it hissed at you, and then it remained there to be petted more. So that sounds like half the women I dated in college. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, not only that, but the cat had a you know when it's hissing, it is it is propelling whiskers breath at you. Ugh. You know, so it's just it's hissing right in your face, and it's just like the word the inside of a this is like inside of a cat smell. Yeah, it's no not. It's the thing, that thing's not flossing. Ugh. Yeah. So that cat was really bad, and then the other cat I think suffered from kitty malaise. Oh, it had it had a kind of uh, feline ennui. It did. It had feline ennui. That's so sad, John. And so that cat didn't really care for itself. It didn't have a very high self-esteem. <laughs> it didn't keep itself up. And so the combination of these two cats, you know, I was just like, listen, these cats, I mean, talk about go live on a farm. These cats should go live in the sea. <laughs> and, now, how did, was she attached to them? Well, you know, people get attached. to. I mean, That's probably the toxoplasmosis. It gets into your brain. It, well, I, I feel like that's absolutely true because there was, you know, there was just cat garbage in the air. Uh, but also, you know, there's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome happening there where you are held captive by uh, these monsters and then you start to feel uh, sympathetic to them. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, he's so nice to me. Yeah. Oh, no, he doesn't mean it. He just blah. Ugh. And I'm like, the only, only reason to keep a pet is that that pet is a, is a companion and a friend. To keep a pet who clearly wants to die. Is to do no one a favor. And so, but it turned out that Aunt Martha uh, is a cat lover and was able to take these two cats and give them a, a happy life where the, 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 uh, the depressed cat started grooming itself again and the hissing cat, I think, lived on top of the refrigerator and was showered with love, and, and and actually, it was a it was a story where where uh, it, it had a happy ending. Hmm. We had a baby that did not suffer from toxoplasmosis, and I never had to see those cats again. Um, there are numerous, according to Wikipedia, notable cases of celebrities who have contracted toxoplasmosis. Tell me more, Gwyneth Paltrow, please. Let me check. I don't see it here. It's she, boy, she's right. She's right in the sweet spot. I would say. Wouldn't First, you think? I mean, it was. Yeah. It seemed like. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm just glancing at this quickly. I. I. I don't want. I don't want to get email about this. <laughs> I have heard it said. It is said by some people. Turns out that this is what causes the the, the cat lady thing. Because you know, like, there's those certain kinds of like super interesting animals that can take over another animal and make it do crazy stuff. You know how you can be, get like a zombie ant or something like yeah, that. You yeah. Get, supposedly the story goes. I don't know if this is exactly toxoplasmosis, but part of the reason you become like somebody who who has a lot of attractive cat dander in the house is that the toxoplasmosis is attacking some part of your brain that says, "Hey, it's okay for all this poop to make more toxoplasmosis," mm. and you don't know it. See? Wow, that's heavy. The calls duty. coming from inside the cat. I see now. I want to know how often when you say I don't want to get emails about this. How often does that work? Do I people could, go I could, like I couldn't oh, say. <laughs> I guess I'll. Uh, I guess I won't uh, email him. I think people with toxoplasmosis will send a lot of emails. I think yeah. that's a side effect of it. This yeah. is super interesting. There's three three prominent athletes uh, that have had it. Arthur Ashe, the late great Arthur Ashe, had toxoplasmosis. Mm-hmm. He he later uh, he later you know he had the AIDS, but uh, he developed neurological problems from toxoplasmosis. Oh dear. Um, Martina Navratilova. 
So it's a tennis player thing. It's a tennis problem, or it might be it might be Sebastian Coe. Remember the guy who had the uh, had the Union Jack on his shorts, the runner. Right, right, right. He, right. he had it, and some of these other people, uh, Prince Francois, the Count of uh, Claremont. Pretender, sure. pretender to the throne of France. Well, sure. I was just exchanging uh, letters with him the other day. His disability caused him to be overlooked in the line of succession. Isn't that a shame? Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. Are, you sure it wasn't, are you sure it wasn't syphilis? It, it sounds like it could have been something more severe. <laughs> Enjoy your cats. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I feel like that. I, I, we had cats growing up uh, when I was really. And, um, your mom allowed cats? Well, here's the thing. We loved cats. But we were both allergic to cats, and we didn't know because allergy detection technologies and allergy and the you know and the cult of allergy had not yet entered into the American consciousness, and so the fact that I had a chronic cough and fatigue my whole childhood um, was never attributed to anything other than. Uh, sickliness, or I don't know what. Oh, there, but, there are plenty of other cultural reasons to think that children were broken inside. Yep. You didn't need science there to uh, pop its head up. Yeah, and so it turned out later that, you know, I was sleeping with a cat on my chest my entire uh, young life, and I was allergic to them. So, uh, oh, goodness. so we, don't, we don't keep them anymore, but, but you know, we were, we were cat. We <sighs> We enjoyed cats for some reason. I don't know. My dad liked them. My mom liked them. Um, cats were were sort of always present. And I had, I have to say, I had a couple of great cats. Well, you you pretty recently had a secret cat. You had, had a secret a, cat. Yeah. You didn't talk about it, but you had a cat that you loved. Yeah, I did. I and had it a broke cat your heart. Yeah, he did. He did. He got hit by a car. Oh, so, and that was uh, that was Lewis. And then in the pantheon of great cats. I have to say, uh, Guido was a great cat. Um, you know, there were some there were some some poor quality cats in there too. Uh-huh. My dad thought that my dad thought Puppy was a good cat. I never really bonded with Puppy, and then Puppy died, and Dad got Puppy too. <laughs> and Puppy <laughs> too was a pretty good pretty good mouser. Oh, but, nice! But not a real like, not a real good dude. Like, not a very personable guy. He had a lot. He he felt like he had a job to do. Uh, Tippy was a good cat. Uh, Flaky was a flaky cat. And then all I'm the way learning back, so much, you know, all the way back to Mel, uh, Mel, one of the original great cats. Uh, my mom and my mom and dad talked about uh, Simba, Jacoby, and Tiffany, Michelle. They're two cats from the '60s. They talked about those cats until uh, until my dad passed away. They oh would st- they'd still sit around and talk about Simba, Jacoby, and Tiffany, Michelle. Those are great names. Who would ride on the back? They would jump up on the back of my uh, folks, Borzoi, Manushka, and ride around. They would they ride would, the dog. They would follow Manushka around the neighborhood like a, like a little pack of elephants. But enough. listen, enough about my family's cat history. <sighs> no cats now. We are presently catless. Mm. I just uh, sent you a link in the, in the robot. We we met a cat uh, weekend before last, and I don't think of myself as a cat person. Uh, I'm not anti-cat as much as it might sound like I am, but I, I, I understand that as a not active pet person, it's a big step to get an animal and bring it in the house. Yeah, yeah. And could, look at that cat. That's midget. That is really an extraordinary face. Yeah. 
It's got a little derpy tongue. And that is a Persian cat that had just been shaved, except for its head. And basically, I was at these people's house, and I was kind of avoiding my family. And I looked out the front window, and I saw something that looked like a teacup lion Uh out front. It was so tiny and so cute and so weird and so looking like it was near death. And I instantly bonded with Midget, who, (laughs) as you see in the caption I'm referring to here, is the world's most interesting cat. Midget lets you hold her, and she licks you. Because she can't put her tongue back in her mouth. I think she's got neurological problems. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't want to say this in front of my family, but like, I was like, I want this cat. Like, Let's if you ever this. decide, because these people had two dogs <laughs> and three cats. And I was like, if you ever want to unload this cat, you know, let's talk. Yes. So there are some potential high-level talks going on about maybe bringing Midget into our life. Midget, wow. is, Midget is pretty old. But look yeah. at that face. That's a great face. Yeah. It's a great face. It's a very, you know, it's over it's a it's overused to describe a, a creature like that as muppet like, but it is very muppet like. Oh, 100%. It it looks like it's a Jim Henson uh project. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It is something that they modeled muppets after. But I know that feeling of seeing a little creature and <laughs> I want your cat. <laughs> and saying like, "Oh, this creature belongs with me." Because it's pretty cool. First of all, John, everything you're describing, you kind of want an animal. And this is exactly the kind of thing somebody who doesn't own pets would say, or excuse me, companion pets would mm-hmm. say, is, is, that, is that it's pre-qualified. Hmm. Like, I know, right? I know this is a cool cat. Yeah, right. Right? If you're just, you're just driving to Trader Joe's and somebody goes, hey, free Siamese, you don't know what you're in for. That's right. I mean, you got a pretty good idea what you're in for, but, you know. But in this case, this is a pre-qualified cool cat that likes to lick you. Oh. How cute is that? Well, and the, the the problem with uh, with cats for me is that, uh, you know, the the kitten does not denote the cat. Oh, oh, oh my goodness! If you know what I'm saying, I oh, I think that's true. I think that's true. It's a species. It's beyond beyond that species. I think that's a thing. The kitten and, does not denote the cat. Yeah, and so uh, I have seen a lot of cute kittens that became. Pretty uncute cats. And I'd, I would like, if I'm going to look at a little face all the time and have that little face look up at me pleadingly, uh, wanting its whiskers, and that little face greet me every morning, I would like to like that face. Mm-hmm. I do not want a face uh, that, that, that I would not choose. And when you choose a kitten... You're like, oh, bah, boo, and then it turns into this sort of grotesquerie, <laughs> and it's like, well, you know what I mean? Like, you, you yeah. can, there's nature and there's nurture, let's be honest. And there's only so much you can do to make, a, to, you know, to make a cat that is destined to be a jerk into, into a, good, a good pal. You know, it, when, you, when you get a kid, there's a lot of biological stuff going on. Yeah. Where you feel a certain, you feel compelled to try and uh, move things around your schedule to make sure it doesn't die. Yeah, but sure. Like with a cat, I, I don't. I think for some people, like I, I know I would have to manufacture a lot. There are points when I would have to man- manufacture a lot of care. Not, not that I, I don't want to sound uncaring. I'm trying to be realistic. It's like those idiots that go out and buy an Easter bunny or a turtle or something have no idea what they're getting into. You know what I mean? That's that's the trouble. You know, t- turtles have uh, what do they have? They've got the uh, they've got the uh, the uh, uh, what's the stuff you get from uh, bad meat? 
Uh, oh, the, the uh, trichinosis? No, 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 that's pork, I think. But, you know, the one they got uh, salmonella. You get salmonella from a turtle. Oh, I thought that was from chickens and eggs. I could have a pet chicken. I would enjoy it. These people, these people also had chickens. They, they, they had four chickens at their house, I too. I bet they did. They sound like chicken owners. I, uh, I do not... I, you know, I had a cat after Lewis. I tried to replace Lewis with another cat. Uh, and all of these cats, you know, they come to me, uh, you know, by hook or by crook. I don't, it's not like I go to the pound and choose cats, but like cats show up. And I, and a second cat arrived. And I think it was that somebody was trying to, somebody was trying to make um, my, my pain over Lewis go away. Oh, okay. And so this second cat arrived and the second cat was okay. Um, but I think had been weaned too early or incorrectly. You know, mm-hmm. you can be weaned incorrectly. I meet people like that all the time. They just got torn away a little too soon. <laughs> just like, Bloop! hey! Hey, I was using that. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, and so this cat just didn't, you know, and, and over time, um, my good friend Eric Corson, bass player of the Long Winters, would come around and the, and Eric and the cat had a good rapport. And then I was going out of town. I was like, Hey Eric, you want to watch the cat? And he was like, yeah. And then I just never went back and got the cat. And I, Eric, that, that sounds like, that sounds like a nice, uh, nice way for that to end up. Yeah. And I think Eric and the cat still have a good relationship and, and are close and, and, uh, I never have to see the cat and, and we, and everybody wins. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I lived with that cat for, for a year, maybe. Wow. With no, with never really feel, I mean, we were sharing a space together, but we were not sharing a place together. Mm-mm. Mm. Yeah. The rotten milk uh, in my coffee is really, it's really making me sentimental. Yeah. Oh, who knows, who knows what's causing that? I remember a job I had one time hearing um, a Monday morning, I, I hear a, a, a man scream down the hallway and we all gathered around because he was the least intelligent of people working there and uh, he got himself a fresh cup of coffee put some cream in it but he'd uh, erroneously grabbed the coffee from Friday that was on his desk oh Friday's coffee he had Friday's coffee took a big slug of it and it had Friday's cream in it and he was a sad little man oh it's been sitting on the counter the whole time yeah that's not even in the fridge that's that's bad (sighs) I Did know. I ever tell you about the time I left a cup of coffee in the um, in the garden? No. Yeah, I left a cup of coffee in the garden, uh, and I came back a couple of days later, and a bird had fallen into it. <laughs> oh, no. And I don't know how or why. I don't know why uh, she swallowed a fly. <laughs> but she died in my coffee cup. Was it, a, was it a cup that you liked? Well, I mean, I still use the cup. Good, good, good. You, because, I think you, you honor the bird. But I had to, uh, you know, honor, honor the bird, honor the bird story. Like, what I did was I, I washed out the cup, and that was no easy thing. Um, I dumped the coffee. I dumped the moldy coffee bird in the yard waste? Maybe the compost? I'm not sure which... I'm not sure which bin, which of Seattle's many bins uh, got the moldy coffee bird. 
But yeah. then I went in and I gave it. I gave the cup a good scrub, and then I put it back in rotation. And now I swear to you, I could not tell you which one it was. I could be drinking out of it now. Yeah, that's the dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but trying to picture what was happening in a bird's life, where I was like, "Huh, look at that. I wonder what that is. I'm going to go perch on the edge of, of that uh, mug." Yeah. And then like birds don't really lose their footing. Mm-hmm. Like, how did the bird end up in the? How did you got, it got end a little, up? You got, got a little bit curious. Right. Dropped down and then couldn't get out. Ugh. It was, it's a, it was like a little bird. Well, I mean, little enough to fall into a beer stock. Well, you wouldn't want, I'm just saying, I don't want to state the obvious, but you would not want that to be a crow. No, it wasn't an eagle. <laughs> you drink out of pretty big cups. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it was a bird that would fit in a cup. But it's, you know, there are a few, there are a few private tragedies that I've had involving things, creatures over the years. Over, over uh, almost almost fifty years in in American life mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. me, and a few of them have just have always remained private, right? There are just there are a few those few times when you come upon a when you come upon a uh, a noble stag in the forest and you fell him with a handmade bow and arrow. <laughs> you never talk about those things with anyone else. No, it never got a chance to put its head in your lap. No, it's just, but it's just a thing that doesn't come up in conversation. And if you're sitting at a party and somebody says, have you ever felled a stag? You just kind of don't answer. Right? You look out the window and just sort of, it's not a story that you want to tell. We've, we've had to recently deal with the, the, the state of little things lately. And it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, my daughter found a, uh, a robin's egg and put it back in the nest about a month ago. Hmm. And she's really excited because it still hasn't hatched. And, oh. and she's saying, you know, no, she's like, she's pretty sure it takes at least a month for an egg to hatch. And I was like, hey, you know, what do you say? I mean, you know, right. I, you know, she's if it was just any any egg in a nest, I would say, well, you know, that thing's probably fucking dead. But like she has some ownership, some investment in that. It's a project well, she for her. It. She rescued it. Yeah. yeah. And then the other day we went in the garage to check the mail and uh, there was a mouse in a glue trap struggling. Row. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't mind seeing mice like I did when I was a kid, but, but a, a, an animal struggling in a glue trap to where it has flipped it a foot from where the trap had been. And it was really tiny. It was like maybe an inch and a half long. Yeah, that's no good. No, now she's probably scarred. But it's like, what am I going to say? It's either that or have a garage full of mice. You pick. Yeah, right. Well, and things, you know, things do die. I mean, the thing with the egg, I don't know where you guys are on the Santa Claus continuum, but, um, I think you just go out there in the night, you grab that egg, and you get rid of it. and then Put a, put a fake bird in there. Well, when she looks for it, you say like, oh, the bird hatched and flew away. I used to be really good at that. I used to be good at like really basic sleight of hand to make her think that things were magic. This, the Santa Claus continuum is tough right now because mm. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I can feel – I think we're at that age. We're at that age where she's probably got some pretty specific concerns. There's mm-hmm. probably been some dickhead at school that's already spoiled it for her. Uh-huh. There's always one. Um, but, uh, where do you stand on Santa? If you, I mean, if you're comfortable saying, um, you know, my, I do not have a, I don't have any political feelings about Santa and I don't have, um, you know, I don't have a stand on Santa. You don't have like a, like a, a moralistic stake in the ground about the consequences of Santa. Right. Some, like, some people have very strong feelings about Santa. They do. They do. And I don't, you know, I'm not. I'm not here saying, like, I will never lie to my child. And I used to think tell, that. And if you say Santa is real, then you're just setting them up for a lifetime of not trusting people. 
Like, I understand that logic. I, I think just, causing a child to be born does that even better. <laughs> exactly. But, like, I, I don't have that stand. But nor am I sitting on my, like, um, like my, my uh, gilded tortoise or my magic footstool and saying, the magic of Santa and Christmas is something that I wouldn't deny my child and I didn't, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I guess the magic of Christmas, sure. Um, thus far, Santa to her is just one in a one of a panoply of bearded men who wear all red because her father is one of those too, you know, like, a, sure. like jolly bearded guys in, in uh, funny hats who I'm not even sure she made, she has made entirely made the connection that Santa brings presents. She, she doesn't talk about Christmas. I mean, honestly, the other day she was walking around the house with a little Christmas present in her hand. And by little, I mean the size of a matchbox. And I said, where did you find that? And she said, it was over there on the dining room table with the Christmas decorations. And I looked, and on my dining room table, there is still a, an advent calendar, a creche, and a stuffed Santa Claus that apparently had a couple of small presents at his feet. That's been there since Christmas. It's been there the whole time? And I just stopped seeing it with my eyes. Whoa. Because I had other things going on. Uh-huh. And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure what, I mean, I'm pretty sure that that doesn't say amazing things about me oh, as, a, as like a, um, as like a, a tidier or a person right. who's living a particularly organized life. And then I went over to the fireplace to make sure that the stockings weren't still hanging and they weren't. <laughs> uh, but she found a present, a Christmas present and was carrying it around and, and, um, and then she like attached it to a fork somehow and was calling it a piece of cake. So she was off on her own thing. But, but I had, I had a real moment of pause realizing that I'd been looking at an advent calendar for six months and had just, and it had just turned into another piece of another sort of little piece of flotsam. I mean, it's not a small thing. It's not a big thing. No, no, but like, Oh, you get me thinking. I just, it would be so convenient if we could choose and fully understand our own forms of madness. But then I guess that wouldn't be madness. Part, Part of, part of what makes it madness is we either don't know about it or don't understand it. Like there's the madness that we think we know about and are comfortable with, and that's, that's crazy enough. But then there's the other <laughs> stuff where you're like, hmm, I wonder if I'm out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that sometimes we're all and, – and like for some reason, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie called uh, Synecdoche, New York. Um, yes. yes. Which I find a very affecting movie. But uh, I talked about this recently on another show, but like that, that movie had a huge impact on me because I realized like how much of what Caden goes through in that movie felt, feels like something that I thought was p- peculiar to me. Of like suddenly going like, oh, no, no, that actually happened 10 years ago. And you're like, you're not exactly crazy. You don't exactly think that it's whatever, 1996 now or something. But you could easily go like, I, in my case, like we are a little diner down the street that you've been to. They give out a little uh, stick on calendar 
you know, one of those little calendars or a little tear-off calendar. Yeah. And I have one of those over my, my clothing dressing area from 2012. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't occur to me that, like, not only had I not taken this down since July of 2012, but I hadn't bothered to rip it off since something like August of 2012. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. just kept sitting there. And then that, that started dogging me. Like, wh- why, why is this here? Why, did I, why am I not changing this? Why, am I, why is this still here? Mm-hmm. And why has it not bothered me <laughs> until three years later? Why did you notice it three years later? I mean, if I, I have to say, like, if that little Christmas present hadn't gotten repurposed as a piece of cake, yeah. I'm not sure whether I would have noticed these Christmas decorations until it was time to decorate for Christmas. And I was like, oh, look, <laughs> look, we already have a little still life here that's been here the entire time. <laughs> and you got a little nativity just sitting there, huh? Yeah. Call yeah. a crash. My wife calls it a crash. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, uh, what 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 Christmas decorations are to me, I guess, is like another it's another couple of bins of sentimental uh sentimental jetsam, stuff that I've looked at my whole life that I go like I remember when that advent calendar really mattered to me, and every day I couldn't wait to open another little door uh-huh. in the in the like endless march to christmas that was like the longest month ever just like oh it is the 14th are you kidding me come on and you open the little door and there's a little you know and it's a advent calendar from germany that was made in 1954 and so there's a little boy in lederhosen behind the door and he's you know and he's holding a sugar plum and you go i don't know what any of these i don't know what any of this imagery means and i don't know why germany in the 50s so completely colonized my childhood Christmas, <laughs> right? Like I knew the lyrics to O Tannenbaum and never understood, never it made the connection that it, that it was the same song as O Christmas Tree. Oh, right, right, sang right. in school. Why, why did the Germans have such a lock on, on, uh, on Christmas, particularly post-war Germany? We, you know, made in West Germany. That's what, that says Christmas to me, made in West Germany. It feels more authentic. It very much does, right? It's got the feel of the old country. So I don't know. So, but but in in terms of like Santa and the tree yeah. and the and the business and whether or not whether or not we say like Santa's coming down the chimney, so get in your room. Like I I honestly have not picked a side, and I feel like I feel like not picking a side. Um, my daughter is already knows that I am pretty half-hearted about. Most uh, American traditions, or most you know, like just most sort of yeah, like holidays. Like, are you a big celebrator of holidays? Not at all. Yeah, I feel bad about it. I'm the same way. So it's like, here comes Easter. Oh boy, we're gonna hide some eggs. You don't feel compelled, like like we just had. What do we have? We had the Fourth of July. Before that, we had excuse me, Independence Day. Uh, a couple months ago, we had Memorial Day. You know, November you get Veterans Day, and it's like I I I don't I don't feel compelled to explain those distinctions and why they're special. It's really mostly a day off, and I feel bad about that. Well, yeah, and but, I mean, it's a good way to mark your, your, your progress through a year. Like, Ugh. oh, it's already <laughs> the 4th of July? Wow. Yeah, that's great. Uh, hey, but, um, you know, when, when, uh, when, I, when we were, before, before the baby was born, all the conversations that we had with pediatricians and with 
with uh, all the books that we read about how to raise a baby. You know, you, you, you know there's a baby on the way, and so everybody runs to the library and gets all the how to raise a baby books. And you study them, and they're all contradictory, and, and, and none of them make sense, really. And, and um, some of them make it seem like this is a matter of desperate importance, and some of them make it seem like, oh, it'll be fine. But they all, they all kind of agreed, and people lectured me a lot about routine. Children love routine. They want, they want routine. They want the same things at the same time, and that gives them a, that gives them a feeling of safety, and it you know it makes them feel secure, and that is kind of the nurturing life that they need to grow up to be productive and healthy members of the banking community. And I remember reading those books and talking to those pediatricians and saying, I do not have any kind of routine or any capability of maintaining a routine. So I have two choices. I can either accept your um, framing, in which case I'm, I already fear for my unborn child's future. It almost almost seems not to put too fine a point on it. Almost seems doomed. It's doomed, right? If it's, if it's something you've if it's something that you've got to learn from scratch, that's going to be pretty tough to do on a day to day basis. Yeah, right. I have never. I mean, some weeks I make coffee every morning. Some weeks the coffee mold takes over the entire like northeast corner of the house, and and I don't have. It's inexplicable to me why that's true, and. You know, I have tried to take vitamins and I have made it 10 days before I just stopped taking vitamins. I just stopped remembering them. I did the seven minute workout for about, I would, I would go as far as to say 14 days I did the seven minute workout hmm. before one day I didn't. And that was it. And that was the end. You didn't just and bounce back the next day? I just I was just like, oh, oh, I missed a day. Let's get back on the train. Like uh-huh. I have never successfully gotten back on the train. I get off the train, often in the woods, and then I'm bushwhacking again. And that's my natural state. So it, what I chose to do was refuse to accept the idea that a child without a child will refuse to accept the, the idea that a child needs routine. Um. And instead, like found maybe like a, a a different a different layer of routine. Yeah, I mean, like that's like I'm, I see her every yeah. day. Like that is our routine. But it's you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be going off here, but like first of all, there's a lot of great stuff in books. There's a lot of great advice that exists in the world. The trouble is that the advice that you get from people who aren't professionals and people who are professionals, I think is mostly advice that is tendered to make you think better of them and to make them feel good about the decisions they've made, whether or not they're particularly great. But whatever version they tell you of their life, which is usually put down in the most strict possible way, like it's always got to be this way and that's how I've had such success. Like, eh, that's, ugh. And then you get books and the thing is for a book to be a book, it has to have a big point and then drive it home all the time and say that there's going to be a catastrophe if you don't do it this way all the time, which, which is very unrealistic and causes you to just want to go out and read more books Yeah, if you're susceptible to that kind of thing. So, I mean, I don't have a, a super strong position on like how that shakes out to success or not, but I do know I feel that pressure of like, you know, any of these dumb books that, that have, 
you know, as a branding or marketing point, have this, here's the one big thing that you need to know. In your case, like... It's like toxocat plasmosis. Yeah. But in self-help books. How's that? Well, yeah, they, they plant the little... Uh, they plant the little seed. They plant the little seed where suddenly you need more books. Yeah, and like I don't know, maybe I'm just as dumb as I seem, but like I, I think I think there's a distinction to be made between what was the phrase you used? Um, not banana scared. hammock. Banana. Mm-hmm. That was, there's a difference between like what was the word you used though to describe what you're never going to have? Um, routine. Oh, routine. Like I think there's a diff. There can be important differences between a routine. And between consistency, okay, I think because here's the problem, and I, I think this gets to something that people don't like talking about, which is that people like to think that if they buy into a system and then do it doggedly, uh, e- everything will probably turn out fine. And even if it doesn't, there's probably a reason that can be fixed because all I have to do is go back to the book and read it. And right. like I think what they're avoiding is the fact that you're kind of a little fucked all the time when you're a parent. You're always behind. You're always you're always not doing as much as you could. And there is a very natural inclination to feel like, wow, I'm really not well suited for this. And so, you know, do you believe that or not? But like, I think the, the angle to add to that that's important is that when you think about routine versus consistency, like, okay, if you've got a routine that you're constantly stressing over, and that you're making your child feel like where everything is a constant potential catastrophe because you're mm. not at the bus mm. at 9.05 a.m. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, I, my concern there is that if you can do that routine and be consistent and everybody's pretty content with that routine, that's a good thing. Right. I think the problem is if you try to instill something in your kid that you don't basically have in yourself, you're setting up a lot of potential, a lot of potential disasters. Whereas if you're consistent, like, here's what you can consistently expect out of me in terms right. of attitude and comportment and how things, importantly, how things, go, how I, how I am when things don't go well. Yeah. Like, that's what I want to get good at. What I want to get good at is being like the person who handles that stuff in stride. Well, when, right before, uh, right before she was born, um, uh, we decided that, uh, that we needed a wagon, a, uh, a, a, a car, an automotive wagon. Yeah. Cause you got to carry the, you know, inner tubes and stuff or whatever it is that you do when you're a parent. And so we drove over to Mercer Island, which is the kind of upscale neighborhood, because somebody was selling a Passat wagon. And we arrived at the house, which was a nice sort of house out in the woods of Mercer Island. And there was a family there, a mom and a dad, young, you know, our age. And they had two toddler age kids, one four, one two, I think, and a brand new baby that was like one day old. And they were selling their Passat because with the arrival of the third kid, they now had... Oh, they're going to upgrade. Yeah, they now were at suburban level of, uh, of car need. And so they were getting rid of the, rid of the little car, which was going to be the big car for our little family of one baby on the way. And so we were sitting around and we liked the mother very much. We were chatting and liked the dad and the kids were running around. And, um, and the, and we were fascinated by this one day old baby, like, wow, look at this is because we were buying this car just a couple of days before our daughter was due. Mm. So it was like, that's a brand new baby. Like our babies are about the same age. They're going to be the same age when this, when our baby is born and wow, look at it. It's right there. And the baby was crying and fussing and, and we were like, so are, you know, is it up all night or what's the story? And the mother very confidently said, well, you know. 
this weekend and uh and you know i took next week off from work so for the next week or so yeah we're gonna be like up in the middle of the night and stuff but then the baby's gonna have to get on our schedule (laughs) and we were both like whoa and she just said it like so like yep and then the baby's gonna have to you know baby's gonna have to figure it out and it absolutely blew our minds we do you think it was realistic Oh, I mean, she had two kids. Yeah, she must already. know something. And and she had people over buying a car the day after she had a kid. Yeah, right. That, and that, she, that, that's the part that's really telling. And she was running the show, and I was just like, this idea that a one-week-old baby is going to get on your schedule and you're not going to be slave to it, it's not going to wake you up in the middle of the night. <laughs> you're going to wake it up in the middle of the night. It was, like, profound, you know? And in co- in, in contrast... Like the only thing my daughter knows for sure is that the first day of seventh grade, we are driving to Mexico in a stolen Jeep. (laughs) Like that's the only thing, that's the only thing on her horizon that she can count on. Um, and you know, and, and and so far she seems, you know, she seems fine with it. I'm not sure if she believe if she'll ever believe in Santa Claus or the Easter bunny or even know if those things are important. Um, because she still hasn't seen a movie. We watched a couple at, at, at your recommendation and at Hodgman's recommendation. We sat down and watched a couple of Adventure Times. She's a little young for Adventure Time. She is, yeah. And, but I'm not. I was enthralled by Adventure <gasps> Time. Really? I was like, Oh my what? God, I'm so happy. What is going on in this mushroom trip of a cartoon? It's kind of not what you expect, right? No, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I looked forward to the time when she's eight years old. And wants to delve back into Adventure Time and you know and and go through that world or whatever. Were you were you watching it? Uh, if I'm understanding, you were watching it to kind of like check it out to see if it might be something that you'd want to show her. Yeah, I mean, almost everything that she has ever seen on a screen has has sort of come about as a result of either going over to a friend's house where the friend is watching Frozen for the fortieth time, and Marlo will kind of sit next to her friend for a while and watch some portion of frozen but she gets you know she her attention can't stay on it you know like it'll come to a song and then marlo will you know, she'll want to get up and sing or whatever or i will say i am depriving my child of this rich culture our rich encyclopedia of video culture and and I'll, and I'll start to feel bad and I'll say, I need to show her some things on the, on TV because there's so much wonderful stuff on TV. And so, you know, that's how I introduced her to Mr. Rogers and she likes Mr. Rogers. Oh, nice. Um, we watched some, some like British children's television programs from the seventies just because we like hearing them talk. Um, usually they involve like, uh, like the main character is a, a man made out of a button and a, and a soup can because uh, those were, those were hard times in England and production values were very low. Um, so button moon is one, uh, which is, is really like, it's an amazing show. I highly recommend it. It's just, there's a narrator who's like, here comes Mr. Spoon. He's wearing a hat and it's a spoon with a, with a like a, a 
plate on its head. Well, it's right there on the tin. And you're like, wow. I like that. I like that. <laughs> wow. This show really, I mean, yes. They don't even bother concealing the fact that they are controlling all the characters with like popsicle sticks. But then I'll say like, let's try Adventure Time. Let's try Powerpuff Girls. Let's try, we watched uh, Mary Poppins. And in general, she she just, um, you know, I told you we watched Dumbo and it was it traumatized us both. Yeah. Uh, but in general, it's not, it's, it's not a, um, because I don't, I don't have a lot of time uh, watching stuff. It's not, it's not part of her culture either. Right. She and, does well, again, like that, watching. That, that feeds into the kind of the consistency thing. Yeah, right. She, we, we have decided that watching tap dancing videos is one of the things that we both enjoy. And the other day we were, we were watching tap dancing videos and we came upon one where some tap guys and some river dance guys Whoa. were having a tap off. And uh, boy, I, I think I could watch it again right now. Oh, I love me a, a river dance video. It was, it was tap guys and river dance guys. And the tap guys had a, had, a, had a man with a fedora and a saxophone. And the river dance guys had a red-haired girl with a violin. Mm. And so they were like trading licks and trading tap licks. And I think everybody agreed that one of the American-style tap dance guys was like pretty tough to beat. But the head river dance guy, I don't know. He had some he had The, some the original river too. dance guy? I don't think so. I think these were, you know, these were younger river dance guys. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was young guy, young guys giving each other a little bit of the old uh, razzmatazz, if you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying. But, uh, but YouTube, yeah, YouTube so, can be good for things like that. Oh, I mean, you just tap dance videos. You I can know. watch them, watch them for a thousand years. You get a little bit of Shirley Temple. You get a little bit of, uh, you get a little bit of like, uh, the cast from Fame. You know, you get a slight, a real slice of American history. Hmm. It sounds like she's. It sounds like she doesn't feel like she's missing anything. Oh no! I mean, I was always worried that 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 she was going to come to me one day and just be like, "Videos, what have you been doing? Why have you been depriving me of these magical things?" And so the first few times I showed her videos, I you know I was watching very carefully, looking at her eyes to see if there was some, and I mean, obviously she was delighted by them moving pictures but there was there was there wasn't any moment where where uh some switch was flipped where this this incredible world of of video production was you know she never wanted to dive in it was always another thing in the course of a day. Like, oh, and then we'll watch that for 15 minutes and then we'll go, um, you know, and then we'll go pull uh, petals off a flower or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I, but it still may happen. You know, she may be, uh, she may be seven years old before she decides. If, you know what? It's probably going to be virtual reality. Well, that's an interesting point. She's going to put her VR headset on and she's going to be like, wait a minute. Bleep, bloop. I don't have to stand around this stupid world anymore. I can go into this other world. 
Um, our friend uh, John Syracuse on the show we do has, has uh, said in the past some stuff that makes me think that he's more in the nature versus nurture camp, which, mm-hmm. which I would never have thought myself to be in the camp of. Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, the more I see evidence that that can tend to be true once you start looking for it. Put differently, um, it's not so surprising that something that you, both of the parents are really into becomes something the kids are really into. Mm-hmm. Uh, conversely, and not just because they're forcing Star Wars down their throat, but conversely, something that the parents just are not into for mm-hmm. any variety of reasons could easily be something the kid is not that into. So you're suggesting, uh, based on my daughter's mother's proclivities, that uh, my daughter will spend many hours a day looking at Bed Bath & Beyond catalogs for the rest of her life? <laughs> I, look, I look over at my wife sometimes at night and see her on the iPad. She's like looking at catalog sites. Yeah. And my daughter loves catalogs. Yeah, catalogs. Catalogs and, like, I, I mean, you, you, you peer over someone's shoulder and you think, like, oh, boy, I'm going to catch him looking at something on the Internet. Who's Tom? And it is, <laughs> it's just, like, discount purse sites. Yeah. And it's like, wow. I mean, I, you know, I have a luggage fetish myself. Yep, yep. And if you look over my shoulder, you will catch me on some discount purse sites. So I'm not, I'm not uh, casting aspersions on anybody. Well, in that case, I mean, I think the, the, the point, there's the thing that I feel like I think my wife would agree that we both struggle with this a little bit is when we talk about things like the screen time thing is that we both really like looking at iPads. We yeah. both really like, you know, watching Top Chef at night or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, like in the case of like last night, we had a marathon uh, Gil- Gilmore Girls night. We all uh-huh. really like the Gilmore Girls, which uh-huh. is a great show. Uh-huh. And we finished off season one. We started season two. My wife and I have seen all of them at least the first six seasons, three times. Uh-huh. So, and my daughter loves it now. She sings along on the song. So, I mean, is it surprising that like it's something we all enjoy doing and, and yeah. you do it, but then... There's a get... Long Winter song on a couple of Gilmore Girls episodes. Oh, do you remember which? Which song? No, it yeah. might be on the internet. Um, you're on the OC too, right? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. It's nice. Um, Matthew Cause uh, respo- responded to one of my toots the other day. That was kind of weird. He's a nice man. He seems like a very nice man. Yeah, he is. The times that you've introduced me to him, he seems like a, like a basically nice fellow. He is. Um, so that's not surprising. But then, then now you're up against it because now, yes, we can have exactly one more Gilmore Girls. And then we've already had bath. We've had dinner. So it's definitely bedtime after uh-huh. that. We'll do reading. Uh-huh. Do your 20 minutes of reading. We read to you. You read for 20 minutes. Like, that's the thing we do. Yep. And then, um, and then that's it. But there's never been a time when the credits came up on anything that she was happy. Mm-hmm. Which uh, guess guess who else was exactly like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, come on, I come want on. one more. Just one more, just one more cartoon, one more music one video, one more. more. But like, who's to blame? Because we like that too. Yeah, you know, I'm just being straight up. I mean, nope. I, 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 but like, I, I, that's that's the thing. So you know, you might not have such a hard time getting her into the stolen jeep. In uh, in seventh grade, we'll she's, find she's, out. <laughs> I, you know, I not to not to um, not to say that uh, some version of this on every podcast, but I was thinking about it the other day uh, in the context of the campaign that I'm running. That, I, you know, I was asking around, like, did we have iPhones four years ago? We did. What did they say? <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people said said yes that they did. I think I had one four years ago. Yeah, I think you but, did too. But definitely not eight years ago. The iPhone came out, uh, I think it was eight years ago, came out eight years ago in June was when it right. hit the streets, I think. Right. 
And but, so, but, but you know, but it was a pretty weird thing that that the, the true believers bought. But I think it got big like a year or two after that. Yeah, and the three and, the three G is the one where everybody went, "Whoa, I need one of these." And I think my first one was a three GS. That's a nice phone. That was a good phone, and, it was a str- and I mean that's that was a strong phone. It was a strong phone, and if I had never upgraded the operating system, I would still be using it today. Sing it, sister. But um, I realized that you know I already had screen time problems in the sense that I am I'm, I continue to be astonished at how much I how, how big a part of my life Twitter still is. I don't understand it. It was uh, we that predict- never stopped surprising you. <laughs> yeah, we predict we predicted four years ago that it, that that was over, and it's not. I still am. I still look at it all the time. I look at my phone all the time. But you know, I'm running a, a political campaign, and these are some of the first political campaigns that people have ever run where they were campaigning 24 hours a day because their phone is right there. Mm. Oh and God! There's no. It's there's no time at which somebody can't. Uh, either toot uh, something political at me or that I'd be asked to respond to an email or an issue. Uh, it's with me all the time. And I think back to what it must have been like to run a campaign even 10 years ago uh, when you had to go sit down at your desk and turn on your computer to read your emails, let alone uh, 20 years ago when you picked up the newspaper in the morning and read the headlines and then sat down at a phone and dialed people or, you know, waited for the phone to ring. And what, what that would have been like was that if the phone wasn't ringing and your name wasn't in the newspaper and you weren't out actively campaigning, then you were off, you know, or you were sitting at a typewriter or something. You, you had some mental freedom from the process and what what has been characterizing my last three months is uh, is total involvement, twenty four hour a day involvement uh. in this thing that I'm doing, which is which has taken every last shred of. You're kind of always on call, like you're almost like it. Just there's never a time that you're probably comfortable not picking up the phone to see what that was. Right. Well, and you know, last night in the middle of the night, somebody from um, some Washington State bicycle advocacy group found a video of me very early on in the campaign when somebody at a forum asked a question, where do you stand on bicycle license plates? And I said, and I honestly pictured myself on my Schwinn Stingray with a little license plate that said, John Washington, uh, that was held onto the back of my bicycle with Two twist ties. This is the depth of your analysis for this ad hoc remark. I'm just thinking this in my head. And I was like, I support bicycle licenses. And I look around and every other candidate on the, on the forum is holding up a sign that says no. And I'm like, why not? Why wouldn't you put license plates on bicycles? And the room is like, boo. And I realized very quickly, I look out in the room and a couple of my supporters are like shaking their heads vigorously back and forth. I realized that it is some kind of test that people that hate bikes and I don't even I can't even believe that there are people that hate bikes but they feel like bikes are a problem. They want to Oh, so it's a dog whistle for both sides. Yeah, the, where, the, where you come out on this 
is I get it. So that, that that's a pretty simple question to answer. You don't feel yourself, you know, it's a trap. Like you're walking into this thing where like if how you answer that is going to have a big impact on how two groups look at you. Yeah, right. Like, oh, if he wants bicycle license plates, then he hates bicycles. And it's like, really? I, 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 it, was, it was a new idea to me that anybody hated bicycles. But so somebody, some like Washington Bicycle Club advocate in the middle of the night last night finds the video somewhere and, you know, caps it and starts tweeting at me, really, John Roderick? Do you really think that bicycles are the, you know, and I was just like, whoa, I was just out here on Twitter just, just reading, some, reading some Eugene Merman tweets. And now I'm like in a fist fight with somebody who is mad at me about something that I, you know, and I wrote him immediately. I was like, I got that totally wrong. I didn't know what that meant. Right, I, right. It's to, to quote John Lennon, and now it's all this. I didn't under, Yeah, I didn't right? understand like we, the we, question. We made, we made this, I made this dumb remark about Jesus that was not really meant to say that we are better than Jesus. I made this remark, and now it's all this. Yeah, yeah, and now it's all this. And so then, the, the, you know, when somebody says, like, I was wrong when I said that, um, there's nothing you can do except, like, go, oh, okay, I get it. And now I'm going to send you 15 lecturing tweets about what you, you know, about what you should have known. Right. And it's like, I, I understand. I, I have educated myself since then. I, you know, I mean, that has happened a lot in the, I have said a lot of things on this podcast where I got a lot of pushback from our listeners and fans and then went and educated myself on Holy things. Holy God. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times that's happened. Yeah, and, well, I, and I said, you know. but the thing is, here, here's 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 the part that, that that people misapprehend, understandably, is I, I didn't I didn't say something dumb because I was trying to be offensive. I said something dumb because I was being dumb, right? And like I can grow, but but now you have to grow in public, where like if you don't respond to that person, it seems dismissive, and if you do respond to that person, you're kind of arguing on the internet, and you're just yeah. you're leaving this huge trail of toots where everybody's gonna go, wow, John sure sure seems sensitive about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that I mean. I'm I'm very comfortable with the amount I have learned and the amount I've had had to grow uh and and the role that pushback from our from our listeners and and super fans has has contributed to that um but there's always going to be something that you can pull out I mean you know there's always going to be something somebody can pull out from this podcast and say can these guys really can you really believe these guys and <laughs> You know what? What can we do? You know, it's all, it's uh, we are we're, we do our we do what we do. Now it's all that. Now it's all this, and and it's like I, you know, just just as, I mean, it, you kind of can't have one without the other. Well, you can't have one without the other. But in a one of the rare ways in which I am becoming slightly more healthy as a person, I think is that I, it may not always show, but I find myself <clears throat> much more forgiving of stuff, the stupid stuff I see happen out of remove. Yep, me Because too. I know, like, like, stupid shit happens. People do stupid stuff. I mean, you know, whatever. I get why people pile on Donald Trump, because he is a farcical character who clearly takes a certain amount of relish in... I'm going to use a word I almost never use, because people use it wrong. People say trolling all the time when they mean teasing or baiting. Mm. He's trolling people. Yeah. He's deliberately trying to say something extremely controversial, because the more people talk about him, the more real he seems. So, I mean, setting, setting that aside, I mean, it's just the... I, I guess I feel 
feel like I, I, I don't know. It's too late to say this. It's, it's too late. But like, I, I, I feel, I feel pretty bad about a lot of dumb stuff I've said. But you know, I also realize that like those were words and they came out and I change. And like, I want to believe that other people were the same way too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Not just because of political correctness, but because of growing as a person. There's all kinds of stuff, whether that's 40 years ago or a month ago. There's all kinds of stuff that I don't just – it's not just that I'm not saying it because I don't want to be offensive. I'm not saying that because I think it's not true, and I realize that there's more to it than just those words. Right. And I wish everybody got that same break. Well, I think, you know, hopefully they will. I mean, there's there there are a lot of us that have grown a lot in the last few years, and there there's a lot of people, you know – I mean, you can only you can only punish punish people so far before you have to sort of live with them again. But you know what? I, I do want to hear more about the campaign if you have time. Um, but like, here's another part of that: is that you know, you you must get this because I know I get this. I actually I I get a surprisingly small amount of genuinely obnoxious stuff thrown at me. I feel very fortunate, but sometimes. There will be, you know, what happens is like I'll like I'll say something or somebody heard I said something. Somebody else mentions that third hand. They didn't hear the context, and so of course now I'm Hitler. Like yeah. th- that that happens. Whatever that you know, I think that happens. But I think part of it is the environment where, like you described, like the last week or the week before, you described being in a situation where like all the insiders in politics are interested in what you say. But they're super interested in like who you hang out with because yep. that's that's how we can really tell. But but basically, I don't want to overstate this, but basically implying that hey, we're all just a bunch of liars on one level or another, ha ha ha. And so I wonder if part of it is people are so people understand how what's the word I'm looking for? Um, how how many demagogues are out there? People who are artfully putting together certain kinds of um, polemical and hurtful things by design because mm. they know they're trying to reach a certain group. There mm-hmm. are other people who speak in a code that pretty much everybody knows, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is is the Confederate battle flag really about heritage? Maybe to you, but it's not really – it's kind of not really about heritage. Mm-hmm. The, the heritage is you used to own black people. Like, well, can we, you know, get past that? Right. Like, <laughs> but, like, that is – that's something you can say that a coded statement when you talk about, you know, urban – urban people mm-hmm. when you talk about all these things. So I guess I wonder, I guess I'm wondering your opinion on this because you're living it now. Is that like how much of that is just the rhetoric of being in public as a public person where maybe people are so accustomed to everybody out there uh, having some brand that they're trying to portray and deliberately choosing the awful things that they say. Do you think you're getting tarred with that? You know, tarred, the, pardon my use of the word tar. The, uh, it's it's two things, and and I I think one of them politics is always a rhetorical place where where um, you're trying to catch the other guy with their pants down. You're trying to um, you're trying to turn their words against them. You know, you think about uh, you think about politics all the way back. It's it's one of the number one ways you run against somebody is to um, is to try and portray someone who is ultimately another person of goodwill who is trying to help other people by serving in the democratic process. And you turn that person into uh, a repository of everyone's fears and hatreds by like a hate sink. You become like, you know, for the, for your Orwellian moment of hate. Yeah. The idea that you could swift boat John Kerry, who, 
you know, who went to Vietnam and fought nobly and that you could turn that against him and that his opponent would be a guy, would be a rich kid who dodged service in Vietnam by joining the National Guard and not even fulfilling his commitment, um, but that, that he could be perceived as the better candidate because John Kerry, you know, in, on some river in Vietnam, you know, misreported the, what, what, what his role in a battle was. Uh, I mean, that's just, the, that's just the political process, and it's insane, and it doesn't bear any relationship to reality. And, um, and it's unfortunate, but it's real. Right. And so there's that, which, you know, which I can't do anything about and none of us can. So you just have to uh, accept the things you cannot change and have the courage to change the things you can. The, what makes it different now is that that rhetorical, that rhetorical uh, culture has expanded out into the world at large. And normal people are sitting on the internet and using those same techniques to turn other normal people into the opposition or the enemy, you know, and, and, and like you say, it is a, um, we've spent a lot of time removing words from our lexicon, but we haven't, but removing those words hasn't successfully removed the underlying thoughts and prejudices. Yeah, it's almost like you. It's almost like thinking that taking the book out of the dictionary means people won't understand what it means anymore. Yeah. So now we have to decode. It's, it's what the, what, it's the what it means part that's the the biggest problem. Yeah, because David Duke can speak without using racial slurs, but you know what he means, and. You know, and evangelicals are always speaking to one another in kind of coded language so that you know that you're, you know who you're dealing with. And I mean, there's all family, this family values. Yeah. There are all these language codes now. And so we're, we are, we're forced to decode one another, but that we're also applying this kind of political, um, this political matrix to just what are normal conversations somebody goes online and says like i had a you know i met a i met somebody today she was so basic and then it's like wait a minute you know using that is classist and all that you know and 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 then that political attack comes and it and it takes the it takes the form of like i'm gonna i'm i'm uh, i'm both gonna try and educate this person but also discredit them and silence them and you know it's all that which comes from our political culture and now has just infiltrated our daily lives and so there's a lot of that coming from just daily life people back into politics right i mean i'm running and it's not just a super pack that is going to swift boat me it's right. somebody that disagreed with something i said on the podcast and chose to interpret it a certain way and then decides that independently they are going to be a, a, a flaming sword that alerts the world to the fact that I am a, I'm a bad candidate and a bad man. Um, and then, you know, and so, so yeah, I, I do feel, I do feel that 
there's there's a lot more of that to come in my campaign. There will be people that that um, that come out of the woodwork and say like, I used to be a fan, but then one time John Roderick didn't reply to my email fast enough, right? And then I realized that he was a narcissist and uh, and and he's you know covered in white privilege, and so I've made it my personal mission to destroy him. And, you know, everybody's got the same resources now. Everybody's got access to the same communication channels. It just, you, you just keep lobbing dirt clods at somebody until one of them sticks, you know. And you don't, you don't get any extra credit for not doing that. Right. <laughs> or do you? Uh, me personally, one one that does not participate in that particular form of mudslinging does does you don't get credit for not doing that, do you? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I, I I've said that I want to run a clean campaign, and I get a lot of pressure from my own team to challenge uh, my opponent on his record, and when I do, um, uh. When I do, I'm, uh, you know, uh, people that are fans of mine say, I thought you were going to run a clean campaign. So, <laughs> you know, uh, huh. there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I'm, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I've got, I've got people who think that me running a clean campaign means that I never say anything about my opponent, except that I think he's a nice guy. And I spend all my time ideating up in the clouds and then my own staff is screaming at me um, to to get in the press and make it and differentiate myself from my opponent uh, and you know you got to do you got to do both and I try not to be personal but ultimately ultimately the 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 attacks against me probably aren't going to come from my opponent they're probably right. going to come from Somebody on the internet, somebody that, um, you know, that, that is angry at me for, for the way I talk and the way I am and the way I've lived and, um, and has decided that it's their mission. You know, people have, people have, a, have crusades that will get them a lot less attention than going after me in public, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a real opportunity for somebody if they want to. So you got about what three more weeks? Three more weeks before the primary. Yeah, Whew. that's gonna be a long three weeks, huh? Boy, I'll say. <laughs> that was weird. I know.